0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555.
1: And a very good, <laughs> cool morning. My house, a little bit of a chilly morning this morning, and uh, I'll sure let you know there's some fall in the air. We'll have color turning in the uh, in the landscape pretty soon, and just, just absolutely cool. Gorgeous, gorgeous day out there today. It was uh it was quite chilly and burning this morning at forty seven when I left home and I think that's only about maybe ten degrees cooler than the weatherman forecast. But once again they can't ever seem to get it right. But uh, anyway, it was a gorgeous morning, lots of things to talk about this morning. Engineer tells me we do have a few open lines. Let's see, for the first second morning in a row, Glenn <laughs> got up early and got in first, but uh, you could be next in line. You just heard the number you probably know it by heart 210 599 and we say good morning clint good morning how's it going oh it's uh like i was just saying it was chilly 47 degrees at my house this morning if you can believe that and that uh, uh that got my attention
2: Oh, yeah, we actually open up our windows and stuff and let that fresh air in for a change.
1: And that's the truth. You're not trying to keep it out anymore. And uh, it's, uh, you know, but things are really, really beginning to look a little bit more like fall. If we just just keep a little more rain in the forecast, then it uh, might turn out to be pretty good all the way around.
2: Oh, it definitely would. Now that it's cooled down, my floritam tam uh, plantings have to- And some spots have really taken off and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was leaving it, uh, just leaving it tall to help keep it covered from that hot sun baking the roots. But now that it's cooled off, it spread faster now if I just go ahead and mow it. It's the maximum thickness
1: uh there's no reason to mow it it actually uses less water when it's tall than when it's short and the more green foliage it's got to manufacture carbohydrates the uh more nutrient it will have for growing both roots and runners so uh I'd go ahead and leave it you know fairly fall if, or fairly tall if you if you want to even it up just a little bit it sure won't hurt anything but don't cut it down low i mean set it probably up about the highest setting on your mower
2: Oh, I've never cut anything low. It's always the very highest setting to help keep, you know, uh, yeah. insulate that uh, ground and stuff. So,
1: Well, if it'll look better to, to mow it and even it up, go right ahead if you're mowing it at that high level. But some folks think they're supposed to mow it down low in the fall, and it's just exactly the opposite, as, as you obviously have learned over the years.
2: Yeah, I was just hoping seeing if it would actually make it spread faster. That's all my I was a worried about. No,
1: it's it's um it's going to spread at its own rate. And like I say, living it tall leaves more green foliage, more chlorophyll out there to absorb the sun's energy. So, uh, if anything, it'll spread faster uh, having having the tall blades on it.
2: Now, the Saint Augustine, since. Uh, the blue stem will it still choke out the blue stem even though that blue stem tends to grow taller
1: yes it will yes it will and that's that's one good reason there uh to mow with some regularity because after the little bit of rain we've got last week uh you can bet that blue stems are going to be putting up those seed heads everywhere and uh the more you can keep those things mowed off the uh, less there will be for the Saint Augustine to choke out. Now next spring, um you may want to set your mower just a little bit lower if you have a lot of the blue stem, but uh uh any of the Saint Augustines in Florida's the toughest and hardiest one out in the sun, uh it will definitely choke that carrot blue stem out.
2: I must have dug two round bells of blue stem out my yard and stuff. I still got a plenty there. <laughs>
1: I tell you what I uh, it's it's an interesting grass and it uh i guess it was a great thing they discovered for feeding those old longhorns down on the king ranch uh, 125 years ago but uh they created a monster when they managed to do it and uh takes a pretty hungry cow to eat it too i remember an old german rancher actually the gentleman my partner bought her ranch from and he said yeah he said i reckon a cow would take a bite of that blue stem just before it fell over and died of starvation so it's it's certainly the the least favorite of the cattle out there, but it is sure the strongest grass. I had a rancher down there tell me one time. There's a different strain they call Kleberg blue stem uh, that's even stronger than the King Ranch blue stem. So I don't know if that's true. I hope we don't get that started on our places because KR is bad enough to have to deal with.
2: And it's kind of funny. A lot of the fields out my way are all blue stem.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, again, it's it's a uh, hardy grass. A hungry cow will eat it, but uh, it, it's interesting. Up in uh, on a portion of my ranch, I created uh, what the Parks and Wildlife calls an exclosure. I cut a lot of cedar, piled it like a stockade fence around, about six feet high. And once I excluded the deer and the cattle from that area, uh, my other native grasses actually started choking the blue stem out and uh there wasn't a whole lot of it up there it's been a couple of months since i walked up on top of that particular hill and i i need to go up and look but it was really surprising the curly mesquite the cytos grandma the um you know the the uh look the, well the native grasses that i i like better than the stem. uh they were totally dominating in that area um where they weren't getting bro- browsed by cattle and uh deer and things so i uh, going to keep an eye on that, and uh, uh, Parks and Wildlife's watching it with me, too. I've got uh, one of their wildlife management areas just down the road from me, and uh, their guys were very, very interested in how much better the native grass did when I was able to keep the deer and the cattle off of it. So always something fun to watch, and no matter how much you think you know, nature always has something to teach you. Most definitely.
2: Now I got a question on root stimulator. Is mm-hmm. Medina make any of the products for a good root stimulator? I've seen some things. I think they said they're high in potassium and pho- phosphorus to get things going.
1: Well, the um, the Medina Plus, nice. yeah, the Medina Plus works really well as a root stimulator. Um, the uh, you know phosphorus is nice, but most of our soils have plenty of it for general root growth. Uh, all of our soils have so much potassium in them that, you know, it's just carrying cold to Newcastle's, as the old timers say. Uh, you don't need that. And, uh, these things that say root stimulator on them, they put a rooting hormone, either indole acetic or indole butyric acid in there. But when you read it, it's like 0.0005%, which is just next to nothing. And side by side, if you want to use something a little stronger than, uh, uh, then the Medina Plus, uh, I go with the Garrett Juice. Uh, that's going to be that's got everything you could possibly need in it as far as a root stimulator. But stay away from these products that are labeled as root stimulators because basically they've got a lot of things you don't need and virtually nothing of the things you do need. So uh, Garrett Juice would be the stronger root stimulator. Medina Plus, pretty good, darn good root stimulator in, on its own.
2: Okay, so if I remember what we had talked about in the past. Basically, Garrett juice is more of a compost tea that hasn't been bubbled. Well,
1: hey, that's Howard Garrett uses basically uh, a compost leachate, which is, uh, um, I, I guess it's all in semantics, and I don't know who's right or who's wrong. But when you just you know soak your compost and you know add a few of the maybe a few other things to it you basically um uh you're you're creating what i call compost leachate uh when you start bubbling it the proper name of it is aact actively aerated compost tea and that's what you and i make um i guess if you just added the nutrients to it you could call that compost tea but um when you look at the difference in the level of microbial activity, the actively aerated compost tea has like a thousand-fold or maybe ten-thousand-fold more uh, microbial life in it than just uh, the plain old non-bubble material. So um, the, the AACT is by far the way to go if you're looking for a really top-quality product. Okay,
2: and the medina um, liquid is either humate or humus. What exactly does that do?
1: It adds um, basic carbonous, carbonaceous. It adds uh, uh, humate materials. Uh, you know, when when things decompose in nature, when they first come down, onto the ground we would call them a mulch as they break down to where they're no longer recognizable as leaves and stems and things and that's what we would call a compost as they decompose even further uh, they would be probably just considered a humus material uh, further decomposition they would turn into humates and if you add a little bit of pressure and a few tens of thousands of years humates are just one step short of turning into coal and so humates are just um in effect a super concentrated form of the mineral components of humus humates themselves don't have a lot of microbial life but when you put it in an area that where you already have the microbial life existing uh it's it's kind of like food for the microbes it's carbon it's energy and so it causes an explosion of the microbes which are the things that actually work to build soil texture and so soil quality so humates are what you've got somewhere between compost and coal (laughs) if that's a bit of an overstatement but um Uh, It's just a matter of age. It's a matter of, uh, you know, some of the things that have burned out of it over time. But uh, that's what your humates are, either liquid or dry. Um, The uh, liquids or form of the humates probably has a little bit more humic acid in it uh, than the dry humate does. But both of them are excellent soil-building materials.
2: And how do you use the liquid humus or humate?
1: you just you can apply it as a foliar spray you can add it to your liquid fertilizers you can mix it with water and apply it as a soil drench either way okay yeah.
2: all right well i appreciate your time today
1: all right this is soil science 101 there will be a quiz next saturday morning so i'll look forward to talking to you take <laughs> care <laughs> I'm glad I would. Always good to talk to you. Thank you, sir. And you Have a have a great weekend. Enjoy the cool. Uh, looks like I need to pause for just a second here and talk about Southwest metal roofing systems. Sort of a big change in subjects. But, you know, I'm already hearing the shingle guys saying, oh, man, the heat, it really tore up your roof this uh, summer. That was after last spring when they said, oh, the cold, that really tore up your roof this winter. And then, of course, you add a little bit of wind and occasional hail and things like that. They can just think of lots of different reasons reasons they need to replace your roof when you have a southwest metal roofing system she just smile and don't worry about those things because their roofs are not affected by heat or by cold it'd take a heck of a hailstorm to cause any problem our southwest metal roofing systems roof here at shades of green took baseball size hail it takes a magnifying glass to even find a dimple in it simply put southwest metal roofing systems puts on the most durable roof in the industry truly a lifetime quality roof They do roof replacements, and they also do new construction. So if you're building a new home, why not just go ahead and put on the only roof you'll ever have to worry about on that home? And they're very competitively priced. They cost very little more than a shingle roof, but they actually save you money on your energy bill every month. Most insurance companies will give you a discount on your homeowner's insurance because they know they're never going to have to replace that roof. And there are lots of styles, lots of colors, lots of benefits. Why don't you learn more? Give them a call. 210-822-6868. 210-822-6868. That's 210-822-6868 for the best roof in the business, a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071.
1: All right. Back to gardening on this absolutely beautiful Sunday morning. <laughs> if you're sleeping in, you better get out and get out and enjoy. It's kind of weather we've been waiting months to have. And, uh, gosh, it's just unbelievable to have to actually put on a light jacket in the morning. Most of the time we're shedding clothes when we get up and head out. Ah, looks like our callers are going to be Michael and Terry and JT in that order. Let's get back to the phone lines. Michael's up first. Good morning, sir
3: good good morning bob i was just giggling a little bit i'm sitting out here and on my patio here in the country and i told my wife yesterday morning i'm wearing a little light jacket too but it's beautiful
1: (laughs) it's beautiful when i walked out i couldn't believe it it was 47 degrees at my house this morning the the weathermen were saying 60 and i thought that's going to be comfortable but uh that that the house was a little chilly and that outside was even chillier but I'll take it over starting out at 85 or 86 like we were there for a while but uh truly a gorgeous day.
3: Absolutely. Okay, Bob. Well, I was given a, a passion vine the other day. I stopped by a house and beautiful beautiful flower garden the couple had and uh they let me get a a little vine and it's got a good little root on there, and I planted it in a pot. I wanted to just plant it right away, so that mm-hmm. way it won't dry out. Anyway, uh, it's looking it's looking real puny. And uh, uh-huh. will the deer eat it? First of all,
1: yes, probably will. Tell, tell me okay. tell me what color the flowers were on it it 's a purple one it's okay purple one. that that 's good because that is by far the hardiest. They also come in red, they come in white there 's a little pink one that 's almost a weed, but you probably have what I can see to be considered to be the very best variety out there it 's one called incense and it has a wonderful fragrance as well as being a most unusual flower um, yeah i 'm afraid the deer probably will eat it. And considering that it is such a young, tender plant, I'm glad you put it in a pot because I think you will do well to try to protect it and keep it from freezing this winter. Once it's established, it's very cold-hardy. Freezes down, comes right back. Freezes down, comes right back. But this year, it's going to take a little time. Um Watch your watering really carefully because with just a very limited root system, it's, the soil is going to have a tendency to stay you know, on the moist side, and we we want it to okay. get just moderately dry between waterings what i would and and with just one root i don 't think i'd suggest doing a lot of fertilizing, but if you 'll take a little of the has to grow plant or you know whatever your favorite liquid fertilizer is, that, yeah. yeah, just mix it up and use that as a foliar spray and um it uh it it will be wimpy for the first two or three months but uh Uh, It will make a strong plant. Long-term, it will be an excellent addition to your landscape. Be sure at least it gets half a day at least of sun so that it will bloom for you. But at this point, main thing is give it plenty of light and let that soil dry out fairly adequately between waterings.
3: Okay. Okay. Well, very good. Okay. Uh, And then another one that I was able to grab out of her beautiful flower garden was (laughs) There's another one. I mean, it was beautiful. They had a deer-proof fence in the country. Uh But this one is another one. It had a good root system. It's a little uh, more uh, leaves and whatnot on there. The leaves are shaped like how can I put it? Like a a bullet, in a sense, three or four inches long. And uh, I've noticed since I planted it, it's it's got plenty of buds on there. It's like a pinkish or lavender little bloom, flower bloom. I don't know what that is. It looks like a firebush type thing, but the blooms come out like lavender or pinkish.
1: And how how large are the flowers?
3: Uh, very small, maybe like an inch,
1: half and an do, inch. Do they come out on a spike or do they come out individually?
3: Individually.
1: hey so I don't know what. God. <laughs> <laughs> I I've I've, I'm you know not bringing a specific thing to mind with little flowers that so they came out on a spike i'd, I'd think maybe odontanema or fire spike is more common in red but it does come in pink um the uh, uh there there is a uh, there's a beautiful plant called skull cap which is uh a real vibrant pink and it produces small individual flowers the the leaves are small the leaves are probably maybe three quarters of an inch long
3: Okay. No, these are real thin, and the reason I use the expression of a size, or the shape of a bullet in a sense, they're maybe like a quarter of an inch wide, and then about one, two, three inches very thin, and and uh, they come out individually and it, on all the little blooms, so I just didn't know what it is, and I should
1: ask. Is is the bloom say the size of a uh, oh a little smaller than a quarter, or is it smaller than a dime? Yeah. it's about the
3: size of a quarter.
1: Okay, I think are. that what you yeah look up um, Katie K A T I E Katie, Katie Ruelia. Uh It's a form of Mexican petunia. Um, it is one of the hardiest plants you will ever grow. There's an upright form and there's a compact form. Uh, that little thing is going to almost become a weed. But, uh, yeah, it's, it is a Ruelia, commonly called Mexican Petunia or a Katie. The, the short one's called Katie's uh, Ruelia. The taller one is just called Mexican Petunia, but, a great it's a wonderful plant it's really easy to grow, but it may try to take over the garden so uh, you may find yourself thinning it out periodically
3: yes petunia that's what the bloom looks like so Arcadia yeah. petunia.
1: I'm yeah okay. it's, it's not a real pet, it's not a real petunia it's uh, called Mexican petunia, and it bears no relationship at all to the uh, common florist petunia.
3: Very good. Thank you so much. Uh, One more quick question. Can I plant a crepe myrtle right now and will the deer get it? I mean, I could probably protect it. We we try to plant near the house now because i can't go out there in the garden and water much
1: anymore. (laughs) i understand yes and yes you can absolutely plant it in fact october's probably the best month of the year for planting woody shrubs be sure that that root flare is exposed on it but especially when they're young the deer will get after it put a cage of some sort around it to keep them away from it Uh, once it drops its leaves uh, they're not going to be as likely to get after it but deer are so hungry Uh, this has been such a hard summer on them they're eating things they wouldn't normally touch so plant it but you know do your part to keep the deer away from it
3: okay great and i always look for the double trunk or what i listen to so yeah they're a lot more uh, yes sir sturdier the double trunk okay well thank you bob have a blessed weekend and uh i appreciate all the information as always. well
1: it's always a pleasure be sure you plant that grape myrtle out in full sun now the hotter and brighter right. the better uh, It won't do well in the shade so michael it's good to talk to you you get out and right. enjoy and uh we'll say good morning to terry what's going on terry
4: good morning bob good morning i'm uh, good morning. interested in creating a meadow inside my suburban backyard which i let go because of the uh there's no way I was going to water the grass that I have out there. <laughs> except around like, the tree where I have St. Bermuda, so that's doing great. Um, so I'm wondering, pros and cons of putting in a wildlife meadow in my backyard. I have a good space, and um, I'm thinking, I'm you know, cutting grass is not my thing.
5: Mm-hmm. You know,
4: grass is <laughs> in England. Unless I do buffalo grass. I'm interested possibly in putting buffalo grass in as well. Um what do
1: you think is 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 your yard sunny?
4: Oh yes, I had to okay. cut down all the trees. This was a rental property so it's full sun.
1: Okay. Uh the turf type buffalo grass is a good grass. Uh the rural type buffalo grass is also a good grass, but it doesn't it can't be manicured. It can't trim to you know, look like a lawn where it's a turf type buffalo grass. Excellent grass as long as it gets full sun, a very low water user once it's established. I, I just am not big on totally turning your landscaped area, you know, into just wild, wildlife area because the deer will come in and eat everything. You won't be able to grow flowers. You won't be able to grow trees, shrubs or anything else. But, no, um, I-
4: Suburban. I'm suburban. It's a suburban backyard. Oh, okay.
1: Okay. The choice is yours, uh, especially out back. Some of these uh, idiot homeowners associations and some of the cities uh, don't understand what a wildflower meadow is. They consider them weeds, but back in your backyard, you can do whatever you like. But uh, all the same, you're going to find that, you know, letting it be in effect a wildflower meadow is probably as much work as it is to maintain it as a lawn area where you can plant other things you like it's not you you can't just throw up your hands and ignore it and expect mother nature to be nice or it will kind of turn into a weed patch so uh it's it's strictly up to you um you know i think the uh, i'm not opposed to any grass in the world i think saint augustine's a great grass but most people have way too much of it and uh, uh buffalo is one of those grasses that is a very low maintenance grass but you will have to water it periodically and you will need to mow it periodically if there's any problem with it it's just that it is um it, it doesn't compete well with bermuda it doesn't compete well with st augustine you you pretty much need to have a pure stand of buffalo and growing it on the dry side is going to limit the Saint Augustine, but um, and and you're vir- going to virtually never fertilize it because that would encourage your Bermuda to the detriment of the buffalo grass. So uh, just remember that it is a it's a tough grass, but it's not as strong as some of the oh, more common lawn grasses, so to speak. So uh, you you need to let it pretty much look after itself. You need to keep it on the dry side. You need to keep it fairly low fertility. Uh, If you do that, it can be a very satisfactory grass for you.
4: Okay, great. On my pecan trees, I was devastated to come out one day and look at my pecan tree out in the front that has, you know, a lot less water than the one in the back and find Mm -hmm. dead limbs on it and the leaves hadn't fallen should I trim those? Um, I'm watering it heavily, and I'm doing the sick tree treatment this week. Um, I, I started to do it last week That the rain. Thank you, God. You know, I couldn't put all <laughs> right. these. it with a wonderful mud. <laughs>
1: yeah, you. amen to that. I wouldn't do a whole lot with it, Terry. I, it's just going to kind of be wait and see. Um, They're going to be pecan trees died from the drought, but it uh, pecan tree retains a lot of its tensile strength for up to a year. Year from now, if it's dead, you're going to start having limbs fall out of it. Uh, if it's just died this summer, not going to see. It's not going to be a danger to you over the winter months to you know have limbs come crashing down unless we have hurricane force winds. So I don't think there's any any to be gained by pruning on it at this point uh, if it were mine i would let it go until about april by that time you'll be able to tell what's dead what's alive and take the appropriate action then
4: okay also just to let you know Windcrest garden club is having its annual or biannual plant sale this saturday on the 14th
6: between outstanding
4: and two we will have all kinds of plants available to people to replace those ones that unfortunately died <laughs> this summer.
1: And I'm sure so it's we, free to get in.
4: It is, and it's right next to the uh, Windcrest Methodist Church Annual Bazaar next to the pumpkin patch. So it's on and, Mid-Crown at Walsham Road.
1: And give us the hours once again.
4: 8.30 to 2.
1: That's outstanding. And you're you're kind of you. like I say about our nursery. It's free to get in, but it's sometimes expensive to get out. So <laughs> hope oh, hope you guys have a we'll, uh charity, so. I, I I appreciate you letting us know, and I'm sure I'm sure you've reached a lot of people out in your area that'll show up next Saturday.
4: For sure. Thank you, Bob. Take care. You're
1: welcome, Terry. Thank you. Goodbye. All right. Need to take a break here. <clears throat> time to talk about wild birds unlimited i was out in the store just the other day and i just i never go in there without being amazed at how many different things kyle and his staff have and just if you're into birding they want to remind you this is the time of year the migratory birds are coming through you've got some beautiful orioles you've got some warblers there are a lot of things that you can attract to your landscape feeding at this time of the year birds that are just moving through and then of course we've got our native beautiful birds like Oh, golly, they're so many different goldfinches the blackbacks are so gorgeous the house finches lots of red color and then you've got your cardinals and the different jays feeding birds is a lot of fun and wildbirds unlimited will help you with the right kind of feeders that exclude the guys you don't want and let the songbirds in they also have seed mixes they have a no mess seed that won't leave a lot of litter under the ground underneath the feeder they have special blends for different species of birds and special blends for the winter as opposed to the summer the grocery stores and most of your chain pet stores they don't have a clue when it comes to giving birds the nutrition they need but Wild birds unlimited is so much more than just a bird store they're a great gift store too and I tell you once you've looked at those hummingbird feeders with the built-in ant stoppers uh, you might just have some real good christmas gift ideas uh, looking around that store lots of beautiful things for the landscape people who can answer every question you have about birding in nature it should just- Just a nice, friendly place to visit as well. Out in the shopping center at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. And if you have a question, they are always happy to answer. Numbers easy to remember. It's 210-479-BIRD for Wild Birds Unlimited.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right. Seems to be a typical Sunday morning where we go from having the lines absolutely full and you're getting busy signals to where we have several open lines. And uh, right now, <clears throat> after JT, it's pretty much wide open. So if you want to grab a line, uh, you just heard the number, 210-599-5555. Uh, you just heard about an event that's going on next weekend. I might tell you about a couple of others. Two weeks from yesterday uh, is when the big herb market is down at the Pearl Uh, they have that every year and, oh, such a, such a fun event. Uh, and anyway, that'll be, uh, a week from this coming Saturday, two weeks from yesterday. Uh, looking on down the road, October 27th, the State African Violet Sale is going on up in, uh, Kerrville, uh, at the end of the hills. I don't have the date in front of me, but Green Spaces Alliance will be having their big fall fling uh, down on the south side uh, coming up in November, and I'll try to keep you posted on all those events as they come a little closer. Right now, back to the phone lines, and JT is there. Good morning, JT. Hey,
7: Doctor Bob. Good morning.
1: Good morning, sir.
7: I'm I'm calling <laughs> to see if you could give us a lecture in garlic 201s, in particular, hardneck versus softneck varieties. There are, golly, probably
1: a hundred different varieties of garlic. I don't really have a preference. I I think it comes down to, you know, what kind of garlic you like. I find that the softneck varieties are a little easier to grow in my opinion. But, um, and keep in mind that we have true garlics, and then we have things like the so called elephant garlic that makes that great big garlic bulb, which is not a true garlic, and it's usually handled a little bit different in the kitchen but um i it's I would tell you that if you're just looking for common garden garlic, don't go out and spend a bunch of money on fancy named varieties. Uh what you get at natural grocers, what you get at uh, Whole Foods, what you get from nurseries carrying it is just your your good basic garlic and um, it grows extremely well for you. And if you want to get it to grow in the fancier varieties, uh experiment with them. Just keep records and see what see what grows best. I but I across the board I have to say most of the soft neck varieties are Easier and more durable in the garden than the hardneck varieties.
7: Okay, that's what I wanted to know. I I did use some of the garlic. (laughs) I mean, the grocery store varieties last year. It's really my first year growing it, and some of them were hardneck. When I came to using them, it turned out they were they were hardneck. Others were soft. So
1: Mm
7: -hmm. that's a combination. So.
1: And again, I think the soft-necked are easier. Uh, October is undoubtedly the best month of the year to plant. As far as culture of them, basically grow them like you would an onion. But uh, be sure that you don't let them get too dry in the summer months. If they get too dry, they are susceptible to the thrips insect, which is really damaging to the foliage. And without the foliage, you don't get nearly as good bulb development below ground. So uh, just be sure that you're watering whenever that soil is dry, about a half an inch deep. They will tolerate getting really dry, but like I say, they become much more susceptible to thrips damage if you grow them on the dry side. So when in doubt, keep them a little more moist, Uh, feed regularly, full sun, and it will probably be the easiest thing you've ever grown in the garden.
7: Well, I had beginner's luck, I think I told you last last year on Garlic and onions both didn't have one single pest. Of course, didn't plant them kind of late in the spring <laughs> and harvested midsummer. Didn't have one single problem with them. So now I figured I'd try to do it right and get them going in the here in October. Well,
1: you I may been beginner's can. luck, but you did it right in having the soil properly prepared and you took uh, good care of them. So I'd say it's um I'd say it's a lot more than beginner's luck. <laughs> I'd
6: say
7: it's good culture. Well, I was having listened to you for years is the main thing, but. Uh, one little thing about, you know, we talked about that, prepared a patch like 50 feet long and about eight feet wide, and uh, mm-hmm. put all the amendments on. I mean, everything I could think of, from and humates and the, you know, the growing green and the compost and all that kind of stuff. And told you about the bodacious patch of nuts edge that came up through the mulch and right. top.
1: Right. That's going right. to be
7: worthwhile wrecking that stuff back and mowing it off. way i would be a waste of time. But I, I you know I seldom go against you. But I did it anyway. I wrecked it back. and You'd talk about putting more. Uh, molasses on it, so I put about right. a quart of molasses on that patch, covered it back up, and it came back up through there. But I tell you, now you look out there, the rest of the garden is green with that, or dark green with that sedge, and that strip <laughs> is it's all yellow. Well, uh, I don't
1: know and if that's, it
7: killed her, or not, but it sure did, it sure did hurt it.
1: Yeah, it it basically rots it, and um, the combination of having had it fairly dry and your molasses uh it hopefully you might hit it if you don't if that's not where you planted your garlic go ahead and hit it with one more shot of molasses because when it yellows like that it's on the way out uh it's one i guess bad side of the good rains is uh nut sedge is basically an aquatic plant and it dies a whole lot faster in dry soil than it does in moist so um might give it one more shot of molasses and um hopefully you'll have it pretty well under control
7: <laughs> well i'll do that i just want to thank you for the the thought on the molasses uh, one other good well, question did you have a chance yeah. to talk to the Nature's creation folks about their compost where i've talked about having the sprouted sedge in
1: it i have done so and they promised me that they will do a little bit better job of it, inspecting the material that goes into it and um I they're good people and I sincerely hope they'll do a job of a better job of it I know they bring in material from a lot of different sources to you know make their compost and hopefully they'll go back and look a little bit more carefully at their suppliers but uh it's been called to their attention they're not perfect i had to, uh, give them a couple of rather large rocks, a customer probably one time that they had taken out of a bag. And, uh, uh, I just always give them an extra bag, uh, you know, a couple of bags and just charge it back to the company and say, Hey, this is, this is customer relations I'm doing here. Y'all need to do a little bit better job. And, uh, they work hard at it. I, I can't imagine the, you know, what it must take to produce the volume of material they do. So, yes, I do okay. did have a discussion with them, and they uh, they promised to do better. So you keep me posted. We need as many watchdogs as possible out there, keeping everybody honest.
7: I'll use your product. And I agree. It must be a terrible job to try to do all that. But I just thought it would have gotten cooked out in a properly heated up pile, but maybe not. Uh,
1: well, kind of tells you how tough sedges are.
7: Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks again, Bob. Appreciate everything you do. Talk to you later. Always
1: a pleasure. You have a great day. I appreciate the call. Uh and let's see. I let me get another break in here. I've got a man with a very good name up first named Bob and then it'll be Melissa and Tana. But I don't want to be pushing up against the newscast. So uh let me take a second here and talk about Doctor Mark Williamson and I just Doctor Williamson is just a dentist among dentists, a man among men, as you will. It's just a heck of a nice guy. It can combine that with one of the most capable dentists in the world. And if you're looking for a dentist, if you're new to the area, maybe your dentist is retired, maybe you're ready for a change, I just have to suggest Dr. Williamson to you very, very highly. He's uh, incredibly capable. He's a specialist. So many uh, folks coming out of dental school these days are taught that, hey, if it's more than something very... Very simple. Send them off to a specialist. Well, that's not the way Dr. Williamson practices. He is the specialist. He can take care of virtually any problem. And there's some serious things can come along in the world of dental health. But Dr. Williamson has the tools and the skills to give you the care your oral health needs. And with good oral health, you'll add years to your life. Plus the office is just—I don't know—it's a wonderful, welcoming, friendly environment. They're not going to hurry through trying to get to the next patient. You just—you almost have to experience his office to really understand what I'm talking about. And have people call me on a regular basis and say, "Thank you so much for referring me to Dr. Mark Williamson because he's everything you say he is." I tell you what—a great man, a great dentist, and just I, dental work is never fun. But let me tell you, it—you uh, <laughs> you look forward to. Getting getting to see the staff and getting to see Dr. Williamson. And whether you have just simple cleaning or whether you have a mouthful of problems, Dr. Williamson is the doctor to get it taken care of. Find out what I'm talking about. Give his office a call. 210-341-2569. 210-341-2569. And his office is really convenient and easy to find. Cherry Ridge Drive, just uh, northeast of the corner of uh, I-10 and 410 on the northwest side of town. Dr. Williamson and Associates.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Uh, it's going to be Bob and Melissa and Tana are my next three callers. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Can you hear me all right? Loud and clearly. How is it? everything in your world this morning
8: well it's it's dry we got a little bit of rain but we didn't get nowhere near enough
1: well that's that's living in texas hopefully this week will offer us uh, a little bit better chance and uh, at least we got some cooler temperatures out of the deal
8: yes sir that's a good thing i got a couple of questions for you right quick like okay I got a couple of seeds out of some store bought mandarin oranges and ended up putting them in a pot. Mm-hmm. What's the chances of me being able to salvage anything out of that?
1: <laughs> are you a patient man? Uh,
8: <laughs> well, they yes,
1: <laughs> they they will grow. Um, they will have to have winter protection. They, of course, like most citrus, are not totally hardy in this area. But when when you grow something from a seed. It has to go through a maturing process, just like your little bull calf has to mature before he can do his job as a bull. uh, That plant has to reach a certain degree of maturity before it can flower and have fruit, and that may take as much as six or eight years. When you buy a mandarin or any other citrus at a nursery – what they have done is taken either a bud or a piece of graft wood from a tree that's already matured so it doesn't have that long wait. they grafted it onto uh good root stock and you could have fruit the first year so uh you're going to sit there for a lot of years saying i've got a beautiful plant why don't you bloom and produce and it's just because it's not mature yet so it's going to take you several years for that seed to get around to having fruit but then you have the fun of having, you know, having grown it the whole way yourself. So long as your expectations aren't to have fresh fresh oranges next year, uh, you'll, you'll do just fine. They'll grow easily. They're uh, probably even a stronger plant than a grafted tree would be. But it just takes a while for that maturing process to take place.
8: Well, right. I've, I've done three years in a row I've planted a Myers lemon. And mm-hmm. three years in a row, I pulled it back up again after the winter. yeah so it's just uh, you know they're not going to be able to make it so and so I planted some lemon seeds also store bought lemon, uh-huh. and I planted some seeds, and they're coming up also. Is that going to be a stronger variety, even though I have to wait longer for them to be able to do anything?
1: It's probably actually it'd be a weaker variety. Uh, because it's going to be a harder skin lemon. What you buy at the grocery store uh, was bred to be able to put it in a box and ship it a few thousand miles. The Myers lemon is a great lemon and it uh, it's just really soft skin, so you're and very, very juicy. So you're rarely going to get a, anything as good as a Myers lemon in the grocery store. But whatever kind of lemon you grow, just keep it in a pot. Uh, you can grow it in a big pot. If you go out and buy one at a nursery, You can try to find one that's grown on a special rootstock called Flying Dragon, which dwarfs the plant but still gives you full-size lemons. So uh, it's fun to grow things from seed. Everybody should try growing things from seed. But just with a a lemon, just be sure you put it in a pot so you give it winter protection.
8: Okie dokie. Well, that's what I needed to know today. You have a good day, and let's pray for some more rain.
1: Amen to that one, Bob. I appreciate the call. Let's see if we can get Melissa in here before the news break. Good morning, Melissa.
9: Good morning. Good morning. I live in in Weatherford, and I'm in the country, and I Mm -hmm. have this, uh, I think it's a humilia longhorn beetle that is attacking one of my native trees. And the root flare is all exposed, but it looks like Swiss Mm -hmm. cheese
1: the way so many holes in it Uh, it's and the beetles have had a good year this year uh there is a longhorn beetle there are a dozen different beetles out there what i would suggest doing there's not a lot you can do about it this year and the beetles themselves are pretty hard to kill with anything other than two bricks slammed together but they're all going to die off this winter but they will tend to lay their eggs in the ground near the trees and if you will put out some beneficial nematodes uh i'd think about putting them out this fall putting them out again in march they will kill the larvae of the longhorn beetle or any other beetles june bugs and the whole batch uh so that you'll have many many fewer beetles next year the damage to your tree is cosmetic the tree's not going to die from it it's just going to be ugly but uh unless it's a live oak it's going to drop its leaves this winter you know, in a couple of months anyway. So I wouldn't worry about, there's just not a whole lot you can do about the adult beetles, except maybe feed some big birds and let them eat them. But uh, put out some beneficial nematodes around that area, both fall and spring, and you'll have a lot fewer troubles to deal with next year.
9: Okay. I did put out uh, like two pounds of asthma, dry molasses, cornmeal, lava sand around it. Now, will this harm my chickens if they eat any of that?
1: Not in any way. Not in okay. any way. Now, <laughs> it might make them healthier. Questions.
9: I have two more quick questions. Okay. When do I transplant Nandina?
1: Uh, anytime during the cool months, about October to February, uh, is probably, well, let's say November to February is the absolute best.
9: Okay. One more quick question is, what is the plant that produces these brown little burrs about an eighth inch diameter that get stuck on let, the- let
1: me Let's talk about that in just a
0: second. I've got to go to news. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
1: All right. Back to gardening on this just gorgeous Sunday morning. And... <laughs> I was trying to hurry, but uh, we just ran out of time, Melissa. Let's get let's get that last question that you had about a about a plant that produces a brown burr. Is that correct?
9: Yes, it is, and it's a kind that it doesn't uh, hurt you or anything, but it gets stuck in pet hair really bad.
1: And is this a little bitty burr the size about of an English?
9: A, about an eighth inch diameter, real small.
1: Okay, um, then it probably is not burr clover. Does it, is it on an upright little plant that gets about 18 inches tall and just covers itself I, on the tip of I all the branches?
9: Can, I couldn't tell you because everything is about dead as it can be here. It, okay. And it's low to the ground. So
1: Okay. Well, it's, uh, if it's very low to the ground, look up burr, B-U-R-R, burr clover. If it's a little taller than that, uh, it is probably a weed with the common name of beggar's lice. Um, no,
9: it's not beggar's slice. I know okay. what that is.
1: Then it's probably burr clover. Uh, the little How burrs are somewhat grass? smaller. Uh, C-L-O-V-E-R, B-U-R-R-C-L-O-V-E-R.
9: How do you control it?
1: And what kind of grass do you have?
9: It's just native, whatever is growing out there.
1: Okay, typically your native grasses, when we get a heavy frost, are going to brown out for the winter months. Uh, the bur clover is, like you say, low to the ground, and it will be green typically. Well, this is not a typical year, it's, so it's hard to say because we've been so low on rainfall. Most years, the burr clover remains green after your other grasses have browned out. It also, it's one of the first to come out in the spring, and it's green before the other things green up. This means you can go out with your vinegar and orange oil mix, which is two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of strong vinegar. You spray, and it doesn't hurt your good brown grass. It doesn't hurt anything that's frozen back, but it's pretty good at killing those green weeds that come up in the early spring. Like I say, look this fall. You'll see it. It it looks kind of like a regular clover, the, the little... You know, three and four leaf leaves are a little bit smaller than uh, some of the other clovers. But um, if it's if it's still green after your grass has turned brown, you can go ahead and spray this fall and kill it. Uh, otherwise, it'll probably be one of the first things that comes out, along with the dandelions and your winter weeds. Uh, uh, in the spring and once again you have to do it before your regular grass comes out because you don't want to hurt it but uh, just uh, two ounces of orange oil a little squirt of dish soap and a little bit of molasses to a gallon of strong vinegar just spray that at will it won't hurt your your good plants that are still dormant but it will kill the bur clover completely
9: would it help if i put out uh shredded tree trimmings i have a lot of it right now
1: you can do that in your beds, very good in your beds, but you don't want to put it on your grass because it'll be just make a mess of your lawn mower. Uh, and, and the bird clover is going to be a lot more in your grass, so a little compost would be wonderful. Um, uh, it, it's probably the best thing you can do for your grass, but you keep need to keep those tree trimmings, which are a great thing, but you need to use them in your flower beds and places like that where you won't be mowing.
9: I have one more question. Do you have a podcast where I can go back and listen to your missed uh shows?
1: You can call the radio station i haven't been i think i've been in the radio station once since Covid started and i know they work at doing that but i it's really I'm, i to tell you the truth i'm not even an employee of the radio station i'm paid talent that just enjoys having done this for forty years now but uh call k t s a um, you right, can you, you can find that number. You can call and just ask for the program director or the operations manager, and he can tell you. I know they try to do podcasts. I also know, like everybody else, uh, the station's short on help, so they aren't able to do everything they want to. Uh, but call and ask, and uh, they'll tell you where to find and, and uh, what is up there and when to expect to see it.
9: Okay, thank you, because I always hate when I have to miss your show. I well, you so much
1: you're thank very you so kind much. and uh you take care of weather for us up there it's uh, it, certainly it, will. uh it pre- it's a nice part of the world and uh it's one of those cities i always say that it's one of those cities whose suburbs are bigger than it is speaking of fort worth and some of the other places around so you have a wonderful sunday and i know we'll talk again melissa thank you so much right.
9: thank you Bye-bye. certainly
1: goodbye all right tana's up next good
10: morning tana Hey, good morning, sir. Okay, it seems that Meyer's lemons keep popping up, and my question is what size pot do I need for one to be happy in?
1: Well, It they Again, it doesn't hurt to be root-bound, and you never want to put a small plant in a great big container. So if they are small, you'll step them up gradually. I mean, if you were starting them from seed, you'd probably start them in a 4-inch pot, and then you might move them up to a gallon container. Then you might move them up to a 3-gallon container a couple of years later. Ultimately, you're probably going to end up with a tub... uh, Or a 15 gallon container or something the size of a whiskey barrel, you know, to let them get up and continue to grow and mature. But you can't, you can't put them in the great big pot when they're a little bitty plant because they don't dry out evenly. So just move them up gradually and base your pot size on the size of the plant you're starting with.
10: Okay. And, um, I have a chitalpa that Mm -hmm. is out on these. South lawn, so to speak. Um, is there an evergreen shrub that would not get taller than, say, two and a half, three feet? That would be evergreen that I could put out uh, very close to that.
6: Okay,
1: and. Um... Two-and-a-half to three feet evergreen shrub. Is it going to be shaded by the Chitalpa, or is it going to be in good sun?
10: Um, sun to open shade.
6: Okay.
1: Uh,
10: my my Chitalpa is a little bit more like a <laughs> um, desert willow than a Chitalpa. Uh uh-huh. just that side.
1: Yeah, they tend to be a, a, a the the one that is commonly sold is called Pink Dawn and it is, you know, beautiful flowering tree in the spring, but it makes a low spreading tree and so um it 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 may ultimately, you know, shade the ground around it uh um a bit excessively. Uh evergreen shrubs that will take some shade that won't get over a couple of feet tall. There is a new variety of boxwood out there called Baby Gem, G-E-M. Baby Gem boxwood is uh, going to be fully evergreen. It's a really hardy, good plant once it's established, and, uh, and a pretty plant. Um, if it is really sunny, Dwarf Yopon Holly is a very good plant and uh will certainly stay within those size parameters but if it gets starts getting shadier it's not going to be as happy but dwarf pond is a a good low evergreen shrub one that's a little taller maybe in the three foot range uh there is a compact abelia a-b-e-l-i-a it gives you the benefit of evergreen foliage and tops it off with a huge show of white flowers pretty much all summer long. So your your compact abelia is going to be something that's both evergreen and flowering. And that would be pretty. Again, if it's, you know, if it's really mostly sun, uh, some of your evergreen salvias, like salvia gregiae. Uh, is going to stay low and they come in everything from an orange one called salsa to the really hot pink to red to white uh, uh lavender in color um the Salvia greggii's are are outstanding and very low growing but again you want to put them where they're going to get sun most of the day um In addition, if you wanted something like uh, just a a big liriope, the giant liriope gets about two, two and a half feet. Uh, If it's in good soil, and you're in fairly reasonable soil, and at least you've improved it a good deal, a giant liriope would do in its happy sun or shade i uh, just kind of running through the middle list of things in my own yard. Those, One other thing that I would sure consider would be something like shrimp plant. It's going to be evergreen unless we have a really cold winter. And it gives you, I know you love birds, so uh, it's a great one for the hummingbirds. And it stays evergreen in a typical year. It's only going to freeze back, you know, one out of every five or six years. And uh, it comes back even if it does freeze down. Uh, if it's got any protection at all, uh, your standard plumbago, especially the really dark blue one, would be pretty, and if it gets if, it, if it's got something to lean up against it will get taller. But out in the open, it rarely gets more than two to three feet tall, and it gives you flowers about eight months out of the year. So those are a couple of other things that I would very definitely consider.
10: Okay, well now this chitalpa is white and it okay. has the orange like blossoms. I think I got it from you something like about oh uh fifteen years ago.
1: <laughs> That's possible that's possible i love that tree i wish it were more widely grown but uh it's it's not a big upright shade tree but if it's if you've had it that long it's probably pretty much full size so it's not going to spread out a whole lot more than it is now so uh if you're planting out far enough to be out of the shadow of that tree uh any of the things i mentioned should do very well for you and to that list then uh um, you could probably add pink skullcap. is another one that is normally evergreen and gives you lots of color and doesn't really ever get much over a foot tall. You can you can have quite a bit of flowers and green things out beyond the chitalba.
10: well, I was trying to think of something that would provide some shelter for the birds.
6: Mm-hmm.
10: In, in other words, they go they go to the bird bath and something scares them. And I was thinking of a shrub that they could hide in real quick, that kind of thing.
1: The problem with that is that birds generally don't like to get close to the ground. Something tells them that Uh, that's where the snakes are going to be, that's where the uh, critters that want to eat birds are. So. Um, you're going to need to have a shrub at least five to six feet tall to really prot- provide uh-huh. protection for the birds. Cause they, that, other than a few, we call them LBBs, little brown birds that just never <laughs> like to come out in the daylight. But the songbirds and things that you're enjoying, if they get scared, they're going to go laterally, not, not be diving toward the ground. Cause that's where they somehow, you know, iteratively know that the creatures that eat birds like to lurk
10: home, oh, Bob, uh, I have had a dearth of birds out here.
6: Uh
1: uh-huh.
10: um, The only things <clears throat> that are coming regularly are the uh, the cardinals, mm-hmm. and uh, they're only spasmodic. And of course, I have a a trio of mockingbirds that provide a great deal of fun for me. <laughs> um, <laughs>
6: Okay, <laughs> Whoever
1: did it chose well for our state bird because that bird is a character. Put out, you know, get some of the Niger seed. I don't know why they call it thistle seed because it's not a thistle. But um, put out some of the the Niger seed and um, see if you can't get some of the, we're seeing right now all kinds of finches. The blackback uh, lesser goldfinches are so colorful and pretty. And I tell you, we've started putting out uh, those the Mister Bird, those uh, super hot—they call them flaming hot—cylinders uh, that uh, are kind of like molded into a, you know, to a little cylinder. And we've attracted everything from ladderback woodpeckers to titmice to all kinds of finches. And uh, uh, maybe broaden your offerings and see if you can't get a little bit more variety
10: out there. Oh yeah, I do have the. Um the little, uh, tested hmm So well. they every year's and, and, the, and the wrens, it's just the variety of birds that seem to have left me. And <laughs> you quite often recommend molasses, adding uh-huh. molasses. Um, does it make a difference if I get the grandmother's molasses off the store shelf and how much should I add?
1: Um, Again, go for cheap because what you're doing is uh, is just, you know, using something that's going to stimulate microbial life. And cheap old agricultural molasses is just as good as the best you can find in the grocery store. And typically in a mixture you're going to add about a tablespoon of it to a gallon of water.
10: Okay. Very good then. And uh, I so very much appreciate all of the help that you have given me over the
1: years (laughs) you know it's been a pleasure tana you're among our favorite uh, people out there and you just keep up the good work and uh you know it's as we get more moisture bringing in birds and things like that as you well know water has been the critical thing and uh keeping out you know, bird baths that are both tall and low. Some birds like to drink at ground level. Some like to be up off the ground. But uh, that's the other thing that's going to get your diversity of bird life back. So uh, stay in touch and let us know how it does.
10: Well, I, had, uh, I used to have the goldfinch both times. Mm-hmm. And for the past two years, they have left me. I've put out the feeders, and they just do not come
1: um you know check your seed source we went for about a year without them but um this year they've been back uh if you're if you're around a wild birds unlimited store i know they've got good quality uh we saw some real bad uh, uh bird seed offered in some of the grocery stores this year and the birds just flat wouldn't eat it so if they're not coming to your thistle seeds, you might Try a different source and see if you can get a little bit fresher and better seed because, like I say, we were like you. Last year we had a real shortage of finches and not seeing, we didn't have as many of the American goldfinch come through as usual, but seeing a, a big return of blackback lesser goldfinches along with the house finches this year. So, uh, might try a little different seed source and see if that helps.
10: Good idea. Thank you.
1: You're always welcome. Good to talk to you, Tana. Thanks for the call this morning. Hi goodbye all right let me get a break in here looks like i get to talk to you about uh ronda's nature's way and what a pleasure it is talking about Rhonda's nature's way uh, Rhonda's just one of those people who has dedicated her life to helping people live better naturally for over 40 years they had they used to have two stores they're down to one store now just among other things, couldn't find enough uh, knowledgeable people to staff two stores. So she's condensed to the store out there in the shopping center at the corner of uh, I-10 and uh, Callahan. But uh, let me tell you what. uh, She has things that will simply help you live better. If you have issues with digestion, with mood, with sleep, there are things that will help you if you want to build your immune system so you can worry less about all the things going on out there i take a couple of different immune supplements and recommend them very very highly one of our employees here has an issue with chronic pain once he started taking the curemed that she offers he said his pain just got knocked down to about 1% of what it had been and just has changed his life. Rhonda has so many different good things. And if you're trying to drop a few pounds, like most of us do periodically, she has some things that will really help without making you feel like you're just eating cardboard. She's got some things that are quite tasty and quite sweet, but without all the refined sugars and carbohydrates that you're trying to avoid. I could spend an hour telling you about all the different wonderful things Rhonda has and does. She offers reflexology. There she does beamer light therapy, red light therapy. Your doctors will tell you how good those things are. It's just a great place to visit. You can't go see her today because she's always closed on Sundays. But otherwise, she's open Monday through Saturday. Once again, source near the corner of I-10 and Callahan, kind of across the parking lot from Sprouts. And you will simply live better naturally when you go see our friends at Rhonda's Nature's Way.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Looks like our next two callers are going to be Hank and Chad. And uh, got a couple of open lines. Grab on them if you like. 210 599
11: 5555. Hank's up first. Good morning, Hank. Good morning, Bob. That was a little misleading. You said the lines are all open. I started calling him. Busy, busy, busy.
1: <laughs> well what what happens we are mandated to be on a short time delay when so when i say call now when you actually hear that it's nine seconds later than it was That's and somebody years. just jumped in front but i'm glad you got i through know it. I glad said, to talk ah, to
11: you he does this all the time <laughs> and, anyway this morning i when i woke up brighter and earlier around eight o'clock <laughs> uh I cut the tail nice. end of the, of the of soil 101. I, I don't, you don't have to go through that with me if you don't. It's no big thing. I, I, I see it was kind of lengthy. Uh, but I found a place I can put a little garden in. It's going to have some shade most of the time. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's a perfect place. And anyway, uh, what can I plant for the winter?
1: Okay, and you're looking for things that you can eat. <laughs> you're, you're, okay, you don't want to be in the shade, Hank. You want to be out in the sun. Um, most uh, everything that, uh, you know, that, and I'll really. tell you a few things will grow in the shade, but okay. That's what I winter, there's more in the winter that will grow in the shade than uh, there is in the summer. The summer months, if you want to grow tomatoes and peppers and squash and cucumbers and things like that, You're gonna, you're gonna have to pick a pretty sunny place. So try to, try to make your garden patch uh, where it gets as much sun as possible. Now, um, for the winter months, uh, it's time right now you can plant all different kinds of leafy vegetables. You can plant lettuce. Uh, you can plant, I think it's cool enough now, you can plant spinach. Uh, you can plant chard. Uh, you can plant, uh, kale. All of those things are going to do very well in in bright shade. Uh, If you have as much as half day of sun, you can plant broccoli, you can plant cauliflower. Um, Next month, it'll be time to start planting onions. Uh, Those are all things that want a little bit more sun. But for now, in a shadier spot, just about any of your leafy greens. And, you know, to the list I just gave you, we can add mustard, we can add... uh, uh, just just about anything that's a good leafy green uh will grow well in the cool weather bok choy um all cilantro? these things are going to be just fine i'm sorry cilantro? cilantro yeah cilantro put it in a little bit brighter area but yeah you grow great cilantro
11: okay wonderful all right then i'll just uh, now where i found this patch that i think i went to garden it had been covered with leaves for years so uh-huh. that that soil should be pretty good shape
1: Yes, sir. should be in good shape. Um, you might want to add some, uh, just a good basic fertilizer, Medina or Nature's Creation and Maestro Grow. Uh, if you want to do one additional thing, there's a micronutrient blend out there that's called Azomite. A-Z-O-M-I-T-E. And I find that that has done more to take care of the deficiencies of iron and zinc and a lot of things that our soils are missing. Uh, So along with a good fertilizer, a little azomite, and uh, if you've got plenty of leaf litter there, you should grow a wonderful garden.
11: Yeah. Now, when I found this patch, it ended up being full of leaves. So I took the leaves out, so I'm just going to mulch them and throw them back in, shouldn't I?
1: You should, but now anything that still looks like leaves – keep them on the surface. Don't blend them into the soil. They need to break down to the point that they stop looking like leaves and start looking like, uh, you know, humus. At that point, they can be blended in. Um, For now, the stuff that's on the bottom is probably going to be ready to be mixed with the soil. The leaves that are up on top, just chop them up and leave them up there as a mulch. Got you.
11: Thank you so much. Have a great day. It's a beautiful day too.
1: It is a beautiful day, Hank and I appreciate the call thank you sir uh let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk to uh chad next uh good morning chad
12: uh good morning. How are you I'm off to a good start. How about yourself good, good um I had a question I'm trying to find a certain tree, and I wanted to see if you know knew where I could look or get it um because I'm having a hard time. Uh, I want a honey mesquite, but I want a thornless honey mesquite. I've seen the uh, the Maverick variety um, at the the Dallas Arboretum. I'm in the Waco area, actually, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't find it anywhere <laughs> for sale.
1: Oh, boy. Um, down here, I would tell you, uh, we have a nursery called Fanix Nursery that specializes in... Um, really in trees they have all kinds i tell you a little little closer to you in I, austin there is a okay um
12: i'm sorry you do what now i do have family in south texas so i do travel there you know okay. somewhat frequently so if there's a nursery there that i could stop by um i'm going
1: to give you a phone number uh it's okay. uh, area code 210 648 1303 okay. And uh, yeah, talk to Mike or Mark over there. Uh, call earlier, late in the day. They get awful busy midday. But they okay. would be here in San Antonio would probably be the most likely place to have it. There is a uh, there's a nursery up in Austin, and they're mainly wholesale growers. But uh, you might call and talk to them. It's called Natives of Texas. Or, I think they sometimes go by the name of Native Texas Nursery. Call them, and if it's something that they produce, and they probably do, if they won't sell to you, they can probably, they might even be able to tell you a nursery closer up to where you are, or they can certainly tell you a nursery in that area that they sell to Um, where you could probably could probably pick one up but uh yeah it's it's an interesting tree it's a hardy tree but uh you're you're wise to look for the thornless variety because man those those thorns will eat you up and they're so strong they'll puncture a tractor tire if you're not careful but uh i'd try fanix would be my first choice here in san antonio but call the natives of Texas or Texas native nursery, I think they've gone by both names and uh, ask them if they grow it ask them if they would sell to you or if not who they might sell to in your area that could get one for you
12: okay um great thank you yeah um mesquite's a great tree except for the uh, the thorns i i've uh, had my experience with them and uh, I know my my family that have cattle probably think I'm crazy, but they're a really nice trees. So I'm trying to find the well, thornless one. Yeah, and it, my biggest problem with mesquite, of
1: course, is that uh, they just reproduce so prolifically, and uh, yep, the yep. thorny ones are such a problem. It's an interesting tree in that uh, it doesn't—it uh, uh, produces something in the roots that keep more mesquites from growing underneath it, and. Uh, so the people go in and they cut down the big old mesquites, think they're, they're going to be rid of them. But then what happens is they have hundreds of these little thorny, bushy, scrubby things grow up. And uh, it's, yeah, they're they're a challenge to get rid of. But I can see why somebody would want a hunting mesquite. It's it's a pretty neat tree.
12: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Well, thank you very much.
1: Well, it's my pleasure and I appreciate the call this morning. I need to get a break in and once again it's time for me to tell you about freeze misers and freeze miser is just a remarkable device. This is what may be the third year that they've been out there. What is it? It's a device that you put on your hydrants in the winter months. You put the freeze miser on the hydrant and turn the water on. Nothing happens. No water comes out. But it's uh, it's just, there, and there are no wires, no batteries, anything to go wrong there. But it's just some really remarkable chemistry. And when the water in the pipes approaches freezing, then it automatically starts dripping the hydrant. When it warms up, it shuts off automatically. If you've ever dealt with frozen, broken pipes, you know it can be a real mess, can be really expensive to deal with. Well, let me tell you, the Freeze Miser solves that problem for you. Got a fishing shack, got a hunting cabin, somewhere you don't go all the time? Just put your Freeze Misers on and you'll stop worrying about winter. Same thing around your home. You can find them at fine nurseries and garden centers and hardware stores. You won't find them in the box stores. Check them out at FreezeMiser.com.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, let's get
1: back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Uh, Tana thought of one more thing she needed to ask, and we'll talk to her and then we'll talk to Kelly. Good morning again, Tana.
10: Hey, good morning, sir. You spurred my whys. Okay, if I have a potted plant, uh huh, I set it up gradually from a small pot to a larger pot, and correct, uh huh, if I have the same plant and I put it in the ground, then what's the difference between the ground and putting it in a larger pot?
1: Oh that's a great question. That is a very, very good question. The problem is that you know the place that the way water gets out of the pot uh, and, you know, in, into the air, it doesn't usually happen through evaporation. It does more in the ground than it does in a pot. But where that water goes, it's taken up by the plant and then it's released out through the leaves. When you have a small plant with a limited root system and a great big pot, the soil is very slow to dry out. The more roots you have in the pot, the faster the soil dries. And when the soil stays too wet, uh, the water doesn't really hurt anything. But what happens is the water forces the oxygen out of the soil. And a very wet soil is going to be very low in oxygen, which is going to result in a very bad plant. And ultimately, many times the roots die for lack of oxygen, unless, of course, it's an aquatic plant or something like that. But a small plant in a big pot... The soil dries so much more slowly, holds so much more moisture, has so much less oxygen in it than a small pot where it can dry out, get watered again, dry out, get watered again. And when you increase your pot size gradually, you're just making certain that that soil is pretty much, you know, it, it, it just has enough roots in it that it doesn't retain the moisture long enough to cause a problem. Does that make sense?
10: Uh-huh, that makes sense. Now then, what if you also have one of these pots that has the water reservoir in the bottom? So you put the water in the bottom, and supposedly it takes it up that way.
1: <laughs> well, it it sort of wicks it up. Um, I don't like that kind of pot because I've not found the plants grow real well in them. But in oh. that case, the water is taken up into the soil a little bit differently and um, in that kind of pot the soil never gets really saturated it maintains if it's working properly it maintains enough water to keep the plant healthy but it doesn't there there's a you know a a, if you if you were to dump uh, I don't know if this is a good analogy but let's try it if you had really wet soil and you dumped a bunch of dry soil on top of it it would gradually take up a little bit of water from underneath it, but it wouldn't get muddy. On the other hand, if you put dry soil on top of other soil and then you watered a bunch from the top, you're going to have a you're going to have a real muddy mess there. And, and that must, probably is a terrible analogy, but it just it doesn't take the water up as quickly from the bottom as if it gets poured on the top.
10: Well, I have been given two of those water reservoir pots. Uh-huh. So, uh I really don't treat them any different than my other pots.
1: The only thing I would tell you to do differently is be sure that you put a loose open soil mix in them. Uh they'll ah. do much better with something like a cactus and succulent soil. You want to very much avoid soils that are high in clay you don't want to dig up a bunch of your good old mcdonald you know hard pan clay soil and put in there because uh that clay will have a problem taking water up as well as releasing it so use a good uh, open loose potting soil also you don't want to use something that's high in peat moss because that will break down and create kind of a sponge that holds too much water. But uh, just to be on the safe side, I would probably use like a cactus and succulent mix, no matter what you're growing. Those soils are good for things besides cacti and succulents. But uh, go with a potting mix. Uh, that is going to be a little bit looser, a little bit more open. And like I say, keep in mind, it's not the water that hurts anything. If somebody took and stuck my head in a bucket of water for 10 minutes, the water wouldn't kill me. The lack of oxygen would. And it's the same way with plants. It's not the water that's causing all the problems. But when that soil holds so much moisture that there's no oxygen left in it, that's when the roots die and the plants go.
10: Okay, it came with the instructions use of a- Mixture of one third perlite, one third uh, compost, and one third potting soil.
1: That's probably yes. going to be fine. That's going to be fine. Oh, okay. Perlite, perlite holds a lot of oxygen into the soil. Just be sure that that potting soil portions you add is not heavy in clay, because clay is what you want to avoid. Perlite. That's why we use perlite as a rooting medium because it holds lots of water without excluding the oxygen. That's why, you know, if if you went into some of the commercial growers where they're producing tens of thousands of cuttings and things, they have big beds of perlite. They have misters that come on 10 to 20 times a day to mist those cuttings, and yet it never gets so saturated that it drives the water out. It actually encourages root growth. So Perlite—it wasn't made. They didn't invent perlite for agriculture. Perlite was invented to make lightweight concrete, and uh, they—it's it, an ore. It's heated up to about 6,000 degrees, and it pops like popcorn. And like I say, it wasn't made for the—you know—for the the plant grower. It was made for lightweight, making lightweight concrete, but. Uh, uh, in horticulture, we just find that found that it serves many purposes. I don't like a lot of it in some soils because it floats, and I don't like putting a lot of it in flower beds because then it floats and gets all over the yard. But in a container situation, it's an excellent
10: ingredient
1: in any potting soil.
10: Okie dokie. So then my sugar snap peas and uh, my beet and zinnias should be very happy.
1: Uh, They should be outstanding and produce well for you, both flowers and produce.
10: Thank you, sir. Goodbye.
1: You're, You're welcome, Dana. Thank you. All right. Need to get our last break of the hour in here, and then Kelly will be up first, and we'll go forward from there.
0: South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right, back to gardening. My next three callers are Kelly and James and Joe, and we start with Kelly. Good morning,
13: Kelly.
14: Good morning. I've got uh, several questions for you. Okay. I've acquired a, a house that has a neglected yard for quite some time, uh-huh. and the front yard has a large tree that has caused it to be very shaded, and it's dropped a lot of leaves. So there's, it's covered with leaves. I believe it's some type of oak, uh-huh. maybe a live oak. Uh-huh. So it's mostly dirt with a few weeds here and there. I know how to open up the canopy of the tree to let more sunlight in. What I don't know is how do I get some grass to grow under there. I'm thinking St. Augustine because it's still going to be yes. shady.
1: St. Augustine will be a good choice. Don't worry about opening up the canopy. More people do more damage to trees getting up there and pruning them. And there are St. Augustine varieties that will do in the shade. But uh, it probably is, and it's a good sign that it's dropped the leaves. I see a lot of trees around with brown leaves that have stayed on the trees, and some of those trees are dead and aren't going to come back. Uh, Your live oak is going to be just fine. Um, You want to choose the right variety of St. Augustine, and there are two of them that do exceptionally well in a spade. One of them is called Delmar, D-E-L-M-A-R. The other is called Palmetto, P-A-L-M-E-T-T-O. And um, where you want grass, you know, they, they are a good choice. Now, Keep in mind that St. Augustine does not handle drought, and unlike Bermuda, which can't grow in the shade, of course, but uh, St. Augustine, if it doesn't get watered, it dies. Bermuda turns brown and then comes back. So, I again, I have no problem with St. Augustine, but I think many people have too much of it. Uh, and I would think about it, at least in part of the area, Planting something like Asiatic Jasmine, which takes about a fourth as much water, and it'll do fine in the shade. Um, there's several other things. If you wanted to make, uh, you know, just a beautiful planted area underneath there, you can plant Holly Fern, you can plant Aspidistra, you can plant Giant Liriope, you can plant, you know, flowering plants. Uh, like Turk's cap. You can plant, uh, and these are all perennial things, you can plant fire spike or Odontonema, shrimp plant, plumbago. Uh, there are lots of other things besides grass that you could put in that shade if you wanted to. But if you want grass, either Palmetto or Del Mar are going to be the best varieties of St. Augustine to plant. As late as it is and not knowing what the winter's going to do, uh, if you're going to plant grass, do it in the very near future. Just rake the leaves and Plant your grass, roll it with a heavy roller to take out the air pockets. Uh, if you want to take a little time and think about it, you could plant something like what they call perennial right? It really isn't perennial. It lasts uh, until the weather gets hot. But you could uh, seed, overseed with that just to have some green grass there for the winter and then plant in March or April, which is a little bit safer time to be planting grass. Like I say, I, I don't know what to think. Meteorologists I talk about say probably a mild winter. The Farmers Almanac says an extremely cold winter, so it's going to do what Texas is going to do. But I'd I'd hate to see you plant St. Augustine and then have us have, have a very bitterly cold winter and have it freeze.
14: Oh, okay. And the perennial rye, I can see it enough that I won't have a mud pit.
1: Come oh, you can. December, <laughs> you, January, you can. February. Yeah, it it will look. It'll look like a golf green. Uh, the variety that I like best is called Top Flight. Uh, there used to be one called Playmate that we really liked, but I think the Top Flight is probably even better. You do not want annual rye; it turns into a real mess. But uh, the Top Flight perennial rye, or any of the other good perennial ryes, uh, they'll give you beautiful green area out there now i'm not going to tell you if you had a great dane or something you might have a little bit of mud where he wore it down but uh in general it'll give you uh it'll give you a good green color and you'll be mud free for the winter
14: okay wonderful i don't have to worry about animals because it's the front yard and the hoa sent us a nasty gram and i thought i just moved
1: in <laughs> <laughs> oh don't get me started on hoas they uh yeah it's uh I my, my my line you know everybody's talking about artificial intelligence uh these days and I say Art- artificial intelligence is no match for natural stupidity. <laughs> and so uh oh. anyway it uh it should keep everybody happy most importantly it should keep Kelly happy.
14: Okay, wonderful. I do have if you have time a couple more questions on okay. how to remove it looks like they were palm trees and they were cut down, but the mm-hmm. stumps are there.
6: There
1: are two ways to go about it. it. Um, you can get somebody with what they call a stump grinder. It's a little harder on a palm because it's a totally different type of root system than it is mm-hmm. on a woody tree. But um, if, you, if you have somebody come in with a stump grinder, they you actually grind them down into the ground and you'll pretty much be rid of them. Uh, the other thing you can do is treat them like we do a woody tree there is something they call stump remover uh, it doesn't really remove the stump but you kind of drill down into that fibrous uh, mass uh, it's potassium nitrate it's what it is you put that in there and it it softens the woody tissue and it actually turns it into something that burns not explosively but typically you'll put your stump remover on uh, give it probably three months or so and then just put a few charcoal briquettes on top and light and it just smolders its way down into the ground and gets rid of it but palms do not have the woody widespread roots of an oak tree or something like that and uh if you get somebody strong that just wants to dig it up it's just a matter of you know circling the base of it and cutting the roots and in effect pulling it out but um Uh, It's totally different than a woody tree, but uh, either a stump grinder or the stump remover would be two good ways to look at it.
14: Okay, and then they go palms. Mm -hmm. They're dead for the most part. There's only one that has a weak-looking pup coming up. The HOA wants that fixed. We would like to just remove them and be done with them.
1: It's very easy
14: removing them. Oh, good!
1: Very easy to dig them out um they they don't have a widespread root system and you can get up fairly close to the trunk with a sharp, long-bladed shovel. They call them a sharpshooter or a bill dookie. Just cut around the edge, and then you should be able to just pull them out of the ground without too much problem. If you want to talk about it a little bit more, I'll get Jimmy to put you on hold. But I have to get out right on the second for news. This is KTSA Radio. South
0: Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555.
1: All right, uh, Jimmy, did Kelly
7: hang on? No, you answered all of her questions.
0: got she all of her
1: questions you. in, and we can move right along to James and Joe then, and James is up first. Good morning, James. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Good morning, sir.
15: I was glad I got held over because I have three questions as well, and plus it gave me a chance to eat. Eat my banana. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: I was just telling, I I've got a uh, I've got a breakfast taco sitting here, but I can't eat while I'm on the air because it makes me salivate so much. <laughs> so right. you enjoy your banana, and I'll go hungry for another hour or so.
15: Okay, keep it warm. Hey, also a gorgeous morning. I sat sitting out here on the patio with a banana, a bowl of oatmeal, and a cup of coffee, and <laughs> I got red red birds galore on my feeder this morning. It's just really nice you know it's
1: unusual i everybody i know who feeds birds including us has the biggest crop of cardinals redbirds whatever you want to call them uh, um that i've ever seen probably about two or three times as many as we typically have i don't know why they were just super successful in nesting this year but uh they're they're nothing obnoxious about a redbird they're certainly welcome around our feeders
15: Oh, yeah. They were here before I moved in. (laughs) Always a healthy population. But to your point, and I never really thought about it, but there's been an abundance of babies this year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe the drought had something to do with it, nature and play. (laughs) I don't know. Okay. Um, My first question, I heard you say something. I actually thought about this a few days ago and said I need to call Bob before I do this. I was able to get my hands on some more oxblood lily bulbs. Yes sir um and i and I want to plant them in a specific spot because it's a perfect spot for my wife to view out the window, and she loves this mesquite tree uh-huh. um, can I plant them at the base of the mesquite tree, or will that mechanism or whatever you said what they have to keep them from sprouting new plants is that will that uh, hinder the oxblood lilies?
1: It shouldn't um, interestingly, it seems to only stop mesquite tree or mesquite seeds so uh, i would not get right up against the trunk and uh but i think you'd be fine to plant them out there i've seen them growing around mesquites without any problem the thing to be really careful about them is um you know they have that kind of hard neck above the bulb do not break that uh if you break that the bulb will many times rot instead of sprouting but uh that's one of the prettiest forms of rain lilies uh i don't know i've loved them for years and they just tend to multiply and make more and more and more so plant them in different places around but uh i would definitely plant some of them underneath the mesquite there
15: okay i do have two other small stands that i planted uh i know over 10 years ago and i've been real worried about them because they've shown no growth and i know it's been dry now i got a little over an inch of rain this past week and I noticed yesterday in my front yard under a mesquite, too, <laughs> two of them are up, and they're showing red this morning. So I'm, yep. so I'm op- optimistic there. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting
1: in that they know the difference in rainwater and groundwater. I mean, you can water the heck out of them, and they won't sprout. But something about rainwater, it, it just tells them it's time to jump up and bloom. There We have, or I have, an, a theory about it because uh, they say that when raindrops fall, from the clouds that they actually spin as they come down. How they determine that, I have no idea. But they they spin as they come down. One year, several years ago, my business partner, uh, her well was just dangerously low, and she was hauling water in a tank in back of her hubby's uh, pickup truck, and she put that water out with a centrifugal pump, which of course spins the water as it goes through. That's how it creates the pressure. She used that water on some of her oxbloods, and they came up and bloomed. So, Go figure. I I have no idea. I'm not a physicist and uh, not much of a chemist. But for whatever reason, uh, running them through a centrifugal pump, they thought that water was rainwater <laughs> instead of groundwater. So just an interesting observation. That's the only reason I bring it up.
15: Yeah, I think I've heard you mention that in the past. That is interesting how that works. The second question, I was mowing around uh, one of my beautiful crepe myrtles this past week. The day before it rained, and uh-huh. I noticed there was a volunteer baby uh, come up a, about a foot or 18 inches from one of the. the it's a multi-trunk crepe myrtle, away from the base of the plant, and I marked it so I wouldn't mow over it. Um, is that attached to the root, or is that a, a freestand or self uh, on its own plant that I can dig and move? It most likely is just a root sprout. Crepe myrtles do make
1: seed. But um, I'd say 99% of what you see coming up is coming off of the root system. If you want to, you can take your garden hose and kind of wash the soil away. Just follow it down. If it's coming off of another root, it's not worth trying to transplant. It, it would be very rare for it to grow. If it seems to have its own independent root system, um, go ahead and fully bare root it and repot it immediately. And if you wait about five years, it'll bloom for you
15: okay all right i'll just check it out and see what i have third one last one um my wife said what i need to do for her yesterday she mentioned is find and plant uh some multiplying onions i looked yesterday i hadn't been able to find any do you ha- your nursery have any by any chance
1: they are hard to find no we don't and i don't know anyone that had any nursery that has them Ask around your among your friends, people that have them, frequently share them. If not, it's one of those things I'm afraid you probably have to go online to find.
15: Yeah, I found a source, a grower in Skidmore of all places, but they're <laughs> closed yesterday. But then again, their website, they said all, all they're sold out. Yeah. So um, I haven't called Fanix. I'll give them a call later, and just maybe they might have some or know somebody that does.
1: I, I know they've got shallots over there, but um, I, the shallots are not the same as multiplying onions. So, right. um, you know, but try to talk to Mark or Mike. Those guys are pretty darn sharp, and they will know. Otherwise, it would be an interesting thing. Watch for some of the the plant sales around. I had uh, a caller earlier told me the Wincrest Garden Club is having theirs next Saturday. That's the kind of place that you might find multiplying onions uh, and they're just, they're so great to have, but I don't know why more people don't grow them. I'm not sure how mine came through this summer, or else I'd offer to dig some and bring them in. Um, but, uh, they, they had a tough time this summer, but, uh, ask around. That's the best I can tell you. You might even, uh, if you're on any of the neighborhood, I don't have time to do social media, but, uh, you might just put it out there that you're looking for multiplying onions. And people that have them are willing to share them, but you're rarely going to find them in nurseries.
15: I got you. Okay, I'll keep looking. My wife says she used to grow them when she was a young girl, or, uh, yeah, a young girl, teenager. A and, younger uh, girl. <laughs> well, a younger girl, yeah, there you go. But uh, she wants me to try to find some, so I'm going to keep looking.
1: Well, keep All looking, right. and o- October's a great month to transplant them, so uh, you're looking at the right time of year. All right, appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome, James. Thank you, sir. Ah, let's talk to Joe. Good morning, Joe.
11: Good morning, sir. Morning. Um, a friend of mine had, had found a site about mushroom compost. Uh-huh. I never heard of that. What's your opinion? Mushroom
1: compost is generally a very good compost. It's uh, what it is. Is the though the, what they grow mushrooms the, that you see in the store on over in uh, Gonzales is where most of it comes out of uh the only problem that I've ever seen with it the mushroom growers they tend to sterilize the the bins that they grow the mushrooms in with uh with salt and sometimes your mushroom compost can get a little salty get a little too much sodium in it uh if it looks a little crusty if it has kind of a white crust to it probably not real good but most mushroom compost is uh very good and a great thing to use in the garden okay i was uh wondering about uh, top dressing on my yard i uh, should not be a problem it it should be just fine as a top dressing on the yard the the only if there's a negative to it uh when when you have compost the more different things that go into producing that compost the more different kinds of microbial life you have um, if you're getting a compost that's a mixture of a bunch of different manures and tree leaves and limbs and things like that it's going to have a greater diversity of microbial life than what I call a single source compost would, which would be something like cotton burr compost or mushroom compost so uh, given the choice uh, I generally would prefer a manure-based compost, but uh, if you have access to it and it's a reasonable price, I think it'll do just fine for you. Cool. Right. He said uh, $35 for a
16: truckload of it.
1: If it's a if it's a big truck that's a bargain. If it's a little truck, I don't know. But uh, if it's a decent size, uh, decent size yard or de- decent sized truck, if it's at least a cubic yard in volume and that's a delivered price, that's a that's a bargain. I go for it. Oh, okay.
11: Oh, one other question. How about yeah. uh, cotton burr
1: compost? It's the same sort of thing. Again, it's not the uh uh it is not the diversity of material you will get from something else that's blended up but 99.9 percent of the time cotton burr compost is is just fine a lot of years ago i worked uh, with the nurseryman and we got a a bad load of cotton burr compost that still had too much defoliant in it and uh it didn't do so well but i think they've cleaned up the act now and cotton burr compost again not quite the same quality as a blended compost, but not a bad product at all. Okay. I appreciate your opinion. Thank you very much. I well, I appreciate the call this morning. I <laughs> thank you, and you have a wonderful day, sir. Uh, we need okay. to take a break here, and uh, Jimmy, I don't have any lives. Let's run the run the recordings, and we'll get back and talk to David next in line
0: south texas gardening with bob webster news talk 550 ktsa and fm 1071
1: right back to gardening on a gorgeous sunday morning out there It actually feels a little bit like fall this morning and it should we're into october so hope you're going to spend some of the day outside enjoying hopefully maybe even doing a little bit of gardening talk to david and jamie and then we have some open lines so grab one of them if you like 210-599-5555 i say good morning david
8: good morning bob morning sir I have a question for you. You're so knowledgeable. How do you get all that knowledge? What are you reading? What are you studying? What are the websites you're going to? Um, kind of curious.
1: Well, it's a combination of things. I uh, I grew up in this business. I started working in my grandfather's greenhouse when I was about five years old. I've had some wonderful mentors along the way. My training is as a research biologist, so I understand um the physiology behind what we do and i've spent most of my life in the nursery business and like i say i've had some wonderful mentors do i read i when i get a chance uh acres usa is a publication that i really enjoy um i you know i i would like to say i read real widely but I lead a very busy life, and uh, I guess I'm just blessed with a mind that forgets people's names immediately and remembers everything I ever hear about plants and soils and things like that, so it's, uh, um, I, again, it's based on a lot of years of experience, and like I say, I'm very blessed to have had a chance to get a chance to study under some very good people, and, and I think having the, I've always been interested in biology, but uh Having majored in that and, you know, done graduate work in that, I just, just have been exposed to a lot of different things that were very interesting. So it's I'm, I'm no genius. I just, my mind likes plants and remembers things about plants. And having been in the nursery business most of my life, the questions that most people come up with are the same questions that I answer in the nursery, you know, every day. So uh, I, I appreciate the compliment, but I'm probably not nearly as smart as you think I am.
8: Well, you you tend to be smarter than the average Joe, so uh I would say even even smarter than than uh, most <laughs> university professors today.
1: Well, uh, I'll, I'll in tell organics. you I I tell you the truth. I uh you know, I I taught for a couple of years. I went to graduate school on a teaching fellowship and I taught for a couple of years in the department of biology at uh, at SMU and I learned two things. Number one, I loved to teach. And number two, I couldn't stand the politics of the university. <laughs> so that's why I got back into the nursery business. And I'm just blessed to teach to a very wide audience on Saturday and Sunday mornings.
8: Well, thank you so much.
1: My pleasure. How can I help you? Today? A
8: great
1: day. Oh, well, thank you, Joe. You get out and have a good day as, I mean, David, you get out and have a uh, great day as well. I believe, uh, Next in line is going to be uh, Jamie, and then it'll be Debbie and Tom. Good morning, Jamie.
13: It's Janie.
1: Janie! Good morning, Janie. <laughs>
13: uh, good morning, Bob. Listen, I've got two questions. Okay. Uh, I didn't know there was two types of coarse cornmeal. Um, now, I called your nursery, and asked for one that I heard from this other gardener.
6: And
1: uh-huh.
13: she said that... It didn't really work. Do you know which one I'm talking about? It probably
1: what she got was corn gluten meal, right, and right. yeah, that that's that's the protein that's left over after they squeeze all the corn syrup out of it. Um, I'm with you. It it some years it works, some years it doesn't. People usually use it more as a pre-emergent herbicide Uh, the good news about it is it has lots of nitrogen in it so if it even even if it doesn't work to stop the weeds uh, it does fertilize but it does not grow the trichoderma if you're trying to control fungus with it it doesn't work at all that way and as far as being a pre-emergent it's it's as good as a chemical pre-emergence, but I'm just not a fan of pre-emergence. I just don't think they generally work real well. So um, I, that's that's just strictly my opinion.
13: Well, you answer my question because I'm getting tired of pulling weeds. I'm an old woman, and it's too hard for me. And when I heard that from the garden man, I said, well, heck, that sounds good. But then I found out, well, I don't mind. I do mind, and I don't mind. Uh, the price. But if it does work, that's what I would want to do because it's getting too hard for me to be pulling weeds.
1: Well, here's, here's how all pre-emergents work, Janie. They, um, they don't kill weed seeds. That's, that's a big misconception most people have is they think that it kills the weed seed. The way a pre-emergent works, whether it's corn gluten meal or whether it's a chemical pre-emergent, um, they allow the seed to sprout but then they keep it from developing a root system. So if it's fairly dry weather, little seedlings shrivel up and dry, die. The problem is the corn gluten meal, as well as the chemical stuff, is broken down over time, and you might stop one batch of seeds but uh, that have germinated and grown, but then a little later in the winter, some more seeds, we get some rain, and they decide to germinate and grow. And the corn gluten meal or the other pre-emergent's gone, so it comes up and you have weeds anyway. If you're gonna use a pre-emergent, you probably would have to put it out three or four times, and you'd have to get lucky on when the rains came for it to really be effective. I, for me, If you've got a good, strong grass, you're not going to have a lot of weeds to begin with. And typically, our grasses turn brown in the winter while the weeds come up and remain green. When that happens, you can go out and spray with vinegar and orange oil, and you won't hurt your grass, but you'll kill all the weeds. And I find if you do that once or twice a year that's the way to stop your weeds. It's uh, just a few minutes. It's uh, certainly no more expensive. In fact, it's less expensive than buying the pre-emergence. And uh, uh, if you do it, like say, wait until we get frost and your your regular grass turns brown, then you can spray with vinegar and orange oil and you kill everything green, get rid of all the weeds, and uh, you can normally once or twice a winter is all you have to do that.
13: Um, How much of each of it do I have to... like a tablespoon to a gallon or
1: what? No, you use uh, two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of vinegar, and you buy the stronger vinegar. You buy the pickling vinegar if you're getting it at the grocery store. It's 9% instead of 5%. But two ounces of orange oil, a gallon of vinegar, and then just put a little squirt of dish soap in there. Some people like to add just a little bit of molasses. You spray it on, and it will kill the weeds in about 15 minutes.
13: Okay. i got another question. Yes, i I've got a lot of uh, pecans that fall off from the tree, which they're dead, they're dry, you know, they're brown and all. What I want to know, I know that there's a hand in uh lawnmower, but is there one that's a lawnmower that doesn't cut but picks up those uh, dead uh, co- uh, pecans?
1: There, there are various lawnmowers that uh, are what we call baggers. You don't want a mulching mower. But there are lawnmowers that will pick up at least most of the pecans, uh, and most every brand of lawnmower, whether it's Snapper or Toro or whichever one, um, will have the the option of having a a side discharge chute that has a bag on it uh, that picks them up. Um, is it a hundred percent effective? No, and it's uh, um, it's work because you have to stop and empty that bag periodically, but. Technically, yes, there are lawnmowers that are the bagging type of mowers that pick it up. Now, don't ever put all that stuff out on the curb by the street. Put it, put it in your compost pile because uh, um, we don't like taking all the clippings away because they help rebuild the soil. But any type of bagging mower that's a good quality lawnmower and uh, probably Snappers, one of the best brands out there. But if you get one of their bagging mowers, um, it'll pick up most of those pecans.
13: Okay, where do they sell those baggy
1: lawnmowers? Um I, I, you would just uh I'm trying to remember where I bought mine. I think I bought mine maybe from John Sarola or somewhere like that. But uh uh you're not gonna them. 'em you're not gonna find a good quality lawnmower sitting in front of a Home Depot or Lowe's or somewhere like that. But uh um just about any good place that sells uh, garden equipment um will have something like that they're they're not cheap. I think I paid about six hundred dollars for mine, but it's uh worked for a lot of years for I, me I, yeah
13: oh that's really expensive <laughs> yes yes well okay. I, I yeah a, and I, you bought it.
1: yeah i again the the cheaper ones just don't have the power. And uh like I said, I I use a mulching mower because I put the grass back down. But uh if you want to pick things up, you know, you, you need a good bagger and they just don't come cheap.
13: Well, all right, you answer my question. All right, then you have a nice day, okay?
1: I will do my best, Janie, and we'll uh I'll <laughs> I'll tell Jimmy to listen carefully <laughs> so we get Janie instead of Jamie. But uh you get out and have a good weekend. It's always a pleasure You're to too. talk to you. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. Goodbye. Uh, Jimmy, let's go ahead and get a break in here, and then we'll be back and
0: talk with Debbie and Tom. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071.
1: All right. Back to gardening, and uh, my next two callers are Debbie and Tom. Good morning, Debbie.
5: Hello. Hi, Debbie.
1: Good morning.
10: Hi. <laughs> <laughs> good morning
5: so i have a question about agricultural termites okay um, they're eating up my lawn and will nematodes take care of them for me
1: yes they will yes they will yeah. and realize that agricultural termites tend to only eat the dead uh grass material they don't usually eat live material so they're not they're they're not the big problem that a lot of people would make them out to be they're kind of scary when you see them and as much dead material as there is in the yard after a summer like this um we're going to see quite a few of them but it's it's nothing to panic about and they're certainly not going to move into your house and start eating there but yes beneficial nematodes should take care of them very quickly
5: Oh, okay. I thought that they were eating the, what, little live grass and greenery I had out there. oh no, they're, they're,
1: they're eating all the dead grass, and that's uh, all most of us have in our yard after, after 107 degrees when we have 17 days over 105 or something like that. This was, as you well know, a brutal summer, but uh, uh, not anything to panic about, but a good thing to get rid of.
5: Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'll just leave them alone then they're doing a What they need to do.
1: Well, Uh, uh, the nice thing about beneficial nematodes is they also take care of fire ants. They also take care of fleas. It's more than just the termites. So if it's convenient to put them out, do so. If not, don't lose any sleep.
5: All right. Yeah, I have used them for years uh, for for those other pests. So, uh, yeah. My next question is we have a fruit tree that has the – you know it's grafted and it two of the branches um seem to be dead should i cut them back or just wait till spring and see if they come back
1: what what kind of tree
5: uh they it has um apricot nectarine peach and plum <laughs> and it's Okay. It's the apricot yeah. and the peach uh, branches that uh, on one of the, uh, the apricot one, I think it is, the, the bark is cracking on it.
1: Yeah, I would leave it in C. I call that a fruit cocktail tree. I think it's what they call them. <laughs> and they're, they're a fun gimmick. Uh, but I, at this point, it's, it's real hard to say the apricot is probably the least hardy. Of the ones that are grafted on there, but it's not going to help to cut them off. If they're dead, they're dead. It's not anything that's going to spread and affect the tree any further. So, I would, if it were me, I probably would take those limbs and cut them back about a third of the way. If they have any life left in them, this concentrates the little hormone or the hormone that makes the little buds grow and break next spring. So, I wouldn't take them all the way off at this point. I'd cut them back by maybe a third and then we'll see how they do next spring if we get uh as far as easter and they still haven't sprouted out then let's just hope that some one of the other fruit varieties on there does continue to grow
5: yeah that would be nice i've never done fruit trees before so just when you if you
1: yeah if you get ready to if you get ready to try let's talk about it in a little bit more depth uh depending on whether you want peaches or plums or whatever else. But you, you bought a gimmick tree, and, you know, I'd, years ago I worked with a wonderful nurseryman and mentor up in the hill country, and I'd see a tree that, you know, I thought sounded really neat. I advertised somewhere, and I'd say, Alison, what do you think about such and such? Should we get some? And it would say, how many of them have you seen around here I'd say, I've never seen one. And he says, well, there's probably a reason for that. <laughs> so right. anyway, it's, yeah. uh, you can be successful. Your easiest fruit tree to grow is a fig tree. Your longest live fruit tree to grow is a pear tree. Um, if you want to grow peaches and plums and things like that, uh, you can certainly do it. But it's a lot more work. But if you decide you want to try, there are a lot of things to know before you go out buying trees. So call me and we'll have a lot longer discussion about it
5: okay that sounds great well thank you for your help
1: it's always a pleasure debbie you get out and enjoy this beautiful day and i'm always here for you okay thanks you're welcome goodbye uh next in line yeah let's take one more call here. next in line is tom good morning tom
15: well good morning bob thank you sir call my pleasure well thank you i have a spanish oak tree uh Probably planted when the house was built in late 1970s. I've been See. in the house 38 years. Uh, about half of it, uh, the leaves have all died on me.
16: Mm-hmm.
15: Uh, half is green and half is, uh, I'm hoping it's drought-related, not oak wilt.
1: No, that's not oak wilt. I can promise you that's not oak wilt. Uh, oak wilt hits the whole tree at one time, and the entire tree turns in, you know, a period of about three days. So you're looking at a combination of cold damage and drought damage, and don't get carried away with watering. There are a lot of people whose trees suffered from the drought, and then they ran out and drowned them. Uh, the the so called Spanish oak or Texas red oak, uh, they're just a little. They're just not as hardy a tree as a live oak. And I suspect you're going to find sections of the tree, you know, are indeed dead from the drought. But I doubt if the whole tree is at this point. I I would just live with it through the winter, see where it comes out next spring, and then trim out any dead wood that needs to be
15: trimmed out. Well, that's I appreciate. Well, that's a relief because. I'm dreading. I have three really good live oaks in the front Uh yard. This one's in the
16: backyard. And I'm dreading uh, uh, oak wilt coming. Well, and you uh,
1: should, and you know, but as long as you do your part and seal any wounds right after you make them, um, chances of oak wilt are they're not great now if there's oak wilt in the neighborhood and you have to worry about it spreading through the root systems then that's something else we need to talk about sometime but uh uh red oaks are just they're just not the long live trees uh i live on a pretty good sized piece of property and i've got you know hundreds of both and uh, uh let's just say that most of my firewood is red oaks because they're the first to break up in a storm Uh, They're the first to suffer if it gets too wet or it gets too dry, so I can't say I'm really surprised. I see a lot of red oaks, uh, or Spanish oak, whatever name you want to call them by, Uh, just driving around the hill country. I was picking up hay from my supplier up outside of Sisterdale, and I passed, and they have lots of oak wilt up there, but... Um, just hundreds of red oaks that really suffered from the drought of the summer but uh, i can tell you with a lot of confidence that what you're describing is definitely not oak wilt
11: well
2: that's that's good news i'm relieved by that thank you very much i really
16: appreciate
1: it i really appreciate the call this morning anything else i can help with no sir thank you you get out and have a good sunday tom and thank you all right uh, let's see, Jimmy. Let's let's go ahead and get our last break of the show done, and then
0: we'll come back and talk to Gina. Probably have time for a couple more. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster, News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Back to gardening.
1: Excuse <clears throat> um, me. Back to the phone lines. It's going to be Gina and Isaiah. Gina is up first. Good morning, Gina.
17: Hi, good morning. I good got morning. A question about uh, jalapeno. Okay. Um, so, in early September, I purchased uh, from a local nursery um, the Grande Jumbo Jalapeno yes, and saw. also Sweet Bell Pepper. Uh-huh. And so, um, both of them um, have been uh, doing well and growing, with the exception of the jalapeno. Um, it's making flowers but they are not producing um and the flowers are just kind of dying uh-huh. and uh, while the uh, while the peppers are actually growing so i'm not sure if there's something i can do to salvage
1: it well it's let me just put it this way bell peppers are much more tolerant of cool weather Bell peppers always produce best in the spring before it gets hot and in the fall after it cools down a little bit. So, um, I'm not surprised your bells are doing well. Jalapenos, they kind of, they are a hot, hot weather pepper. They're a hot pepper that loves the hot weather. And when the nights start getting cooler, you should get a few peppers, but you're probably not going to get as many. Um, this may sound strange but how how big is how big are the plants? How big are your jalapeno plants?
17: um, I don't know let me see um so the jalapeno is i don't know I got it when it was maybe like a foot tall, yeah. and yeah. now it's kind of like maybe two feet tall, okay. so it's grown in size mm-hmm.
1: the It may just be that um for whatever reason. The bees haven't found it. Uh, peppers are also to some extent pollinated by the wind. So I would, your, your best bet is going to be to get out there with a little bitty paintbrush or something like that, like a little artist paintbrush and just start dusting around inside the flowers. Where you've got open flowers, just take that little brush up there and just, you know, flip it back and forth three or four times just to be sure that the blooms are getting pollinated. Um, if anything will get you some peppers, that will do it. It's it's getting late. It was 47 degrees at my house when I left this morning, and when temperatures really start getting chilly, uh, the, the jalapenos, the serranos, the even the shishitos don't produce nearly as well as the bells do. But if you read the forecast, it says we're going to get pretty warm again by the end of the week, so let's don't give up on it. But there are just not a lot of bees around. If you'll get out there with a little paintbrush and just kind of act like a bee, see if you can't pollinate some flowers. you get at least some. That's a good jalapeno variety, but um, it, it takes a lot of pollination to really produce those big peppers.
17: Okay. And then um, so I did bring it in uh yesterday uh-huh. into the house because uh it was getting a little cooler so is that should i it's okay to leave them out though or should i bring it in or is it not well, really worth all that depends on how the, much just trying to <laughs> yeah, it,
1: it depends on on how dedicated you are and how much energy you have the ideal thing for that jalapeno uh super nacho grande or whichever one it is would be to sit out in the hot sun all day and then for Gina to bring it in at night, especially when the nights are going to be chilly, because it wants the sun. You'll never be able to give it enough sun, mm-hmm. keeping it indoors all the time. But if it's in a small enough pot that you can move it, uh, leave it out in the sun, and then any time they're saying the temperatures are going to get below 60 degrees, and I think the weatherman kind of got surprised last night. It got a lot cooler than they said it was going to. But any it's going to get below 60 Bring it in and then put it out again in the morning. That will give you your best bet, along with, you know, doing a little bit of hand pollination. You get a good chance of getting at least a few peppers. But uh, your bells are going to be the biggest, prettiest bell peppers you've ever seen. This is perfect weather for bell peppers to produce, but the hot peppers are just a little bit pickier.
17: Okay. All right. Appreciate your help. Thank you so much.
1: Always a pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning, Gina. Thank you.
17: Uh, next up is Isaiah. Good
1: morning, Isaiah.
16: Um, so, I had uh, my two questions, my first question was uh, moving from San Antonio to San Marcos, I know that it's not a different, very different, it's like, a, it's HB, b and uh, I think 8A or something like that, but uh, I'm looking for a company that's similar to Bot Green that does, you know, that type of work in San Marcos area, if you have any recommendations.
13: Um.
1: I don't know a lot of people in San Marcos. The The thing that you're going to find, the one nice thing about San Marcos is you've got a lot better soil than what you have in most of San Antonio. Um, so you're, you're going to find it a little bit easier to garden up there. But um, golly, I in the San Marcos area, I don't, I, I really can't. Think of uh, of anybody that I would recommend highly to you. What is there anything in particular? Any services in particular you're looking for?
16: Well, um, I'm not a big like lawn guy, so yeah. I need someone to, to do that. Like I I can mow it, that's fine, you know. But I just need somebody to do everything else like, to keep it looking like a lawn because we're focused on things I can eat, and I <laughs> care you know, separate. Separating an area for, like, my medicinals and stuff like that, you know, like, you know, horehound because I have a lot of whorehound on my property right now, and I have, a lot, uh-huh. like, any hospital and, and white choro and, like, uh, stuff like, that. And so I want, I'm still going to carve out an area for that, you know, but it's going to be separate, but I want to keep a lawn a lawn, because I, yeah. my current property doesn't have very much of a lawn, because I just don't care. It's like, I was 35 when I got my <laughs> first lawn, and I was like, I don't need grass. Well, like
1: having a lawn beyond mowing is really not that difficult. Uh, you know, watering, of course, is always the big challenge. But uh, if you, you know, uh, and I don't know, there are probably nurseries around. We'd like, we loan fertilizer spreaders out to people. Uh, if you'll fertilize a couple of times a year, if you'll mow regularly, um there's not going to be a whole lot else you have to do now it's good in the spring probably to put out some beneficial nematodes because you'll head off grub worms and ants and things like that but um i i I just i don't know anybody up there that i would trust enough to uh you know to recommend them to you and you know so few people do things organically and it's so much easier if you do so You might ask when you get up there, ask around your neighborhoods what I, you know, and and I'm really kind of serious about this. I would drive around your new neighborhood, see who's got the prettiest yard out there and go knock on the door and say, listen, you've got the prettiest yard I've ever seen. How do you do it or who helps you with it? People will generally be so flattered that you've noticed how nice their yard is that they will share with you either what they do or if they have a company helping them you know they will let you know and that's probably the best advice i can give you i you know I, they're just they're just hard to find there's just so few people really want to work but uh that's probably what i would suggest uh, if you're up in the austin area you can always ask people like the natural gardener up there or barton springs is a good nursery you can ask them if they have people that they would recommend but um Beyond that, I gosh, I, I, I'm at a loss to tell you. But I, I think the best advice I could give you would be look around the neighborhood, see who's got a really pretty yard. They're going to be very flattered that you notice, and probably <laughs> they'll probably invite you in and give you a beer just to get, just for talk, saying nice things about their yard. But they they might know somebody that could help you a whole lot better than I would. I'm sorry, can't be more help than that.
16: Well, I also have another question. Um, I'm transplanting. I, I made a mistake. Um, because I, it's not that I, I thought I was going to live at this proper for an extended period of time. I just, I thought, you know, I needed to get something in my above ground bed because it was like almost mid spring uh, uh-huh. like a few years ago. So I threw my blueberry bush in there when I wanted to keep it in a pot and uh-huh. now I'm moving and I'm, I want that out and I kept getting told <laughs> that I need to wait. So, you know, it's cooler to take it out because it really had a lot of fruit uh, this year and yeah. in the spring. And it just didn't, they didn't get very mature. You know, like mm-hmm. they were all like, it was covered in blueberries, that they like got, you know, not even like, you know, maybe a small size, you know, but then I just let the mockingbirds take it. You know, so I want to get that out of there and well, take it with me. So what do I do? do
1: i would tell you wait until you know what passes for winter and who knows whether it's going to be cold or not but by november december we should be into a best time of year that you can transplant it if you're in your new home the one thing you want to be sure is you don't let the root system dry out on that uh your best bet would probably be to dig it and put it in a big container Uh, most nurseries will give you if they have empty containers probably like a 10-gallon container is going to be as big as you will need. I would go ahead, uh, you know, as soon as it cools down a good deal, probably by the end of October, 1st of November, dig it, put it in that 10-gallon pot, water it in with Super Thrive, Garrett Juice, whatever, take it with you, and then you've got, it can stay in a pot for a couple of months before it has to go back in the ground. But the most important thing is don't let the root system dry out. And like I say, rather than rush to try to dig it up, run quickly to San Marcos and stick it back in the ground. It's your convenience when it cools down a little bit more. I dig it. I put it in a pot. I'd water it. I'd fertilize it. And if you end up keeping it in there for, you know, three or four or five months, it'll do just fine. And then when you... Have picked out the place that you want to put it. Maybe create a raised bed up there or something like that. Then go ahead and transplant it at that time, and you should be totally successful.
16: Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I wanted to. Okay, uh, like I wanted to keep it in a, um, a pot because I heard they they do okay in pots, but they obviously would do better in like a raised bed. So well, I mean, what about keeping it in like an eighteen gallon or or bigger?
6: It's it's
1: they will do okay in pots. The only thing that makes them do better in the ground is just so they're easier to maintain. When you've got something in a pot, uh, you got to be sure it doesn't get too wet, it doesn't get too dry. Um, blueberries are going to do better in the shade than in the sun. So it's just a little bit more work maintaining it in a container than it is... Uh, you know growing in the ground but uh either way you should be able to do well with that i mean it started out it's life in a pot it can grow in a pot indefinitely but if you decide to take a two week cruise in the summer and nobody waters it (laughs) it might survive in the ground but it's not going to survive in that pot so whatever works for you should should work out but just uh just gonna be a little more trouble to maintain it in a pot but you can certainly grow it that
16: way okay thank you
1: you're certainly welcome. You enjoy your new home. Uh, I know our signal reaches up that way, so keep listening and call me anytime we can be of help. It's time now for your pet's health. You're on KTSA Radio in San Antonio, Texas.